Well, good afternoon. <clears throat> Find ourselves in a snowy day in Sheridan, Montana today. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 1, we'll read the chapter together. Daniel chapter 1, begin reading now at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And king spoke unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. But God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants." So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. At the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all manners of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even until the first year of King Cyrus. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us bow in prayer this afternoon prior to our study. Father God, we thank you for the day that you've given to us. We especially thank you for the strength and the courage that you've given to us in these days of uncertainty. Father, as we focus on you, may you grow our faith. May you allow us in these moments now even, Father, to see you more clearly than we've ever seen you. Allow us to see truth through the lens of, of your word. Father, we thank you for Daniel, and we especially thank you for the passage that we read today, his uncompromising life, convicted, conviction on steroids. He was focused incredibly, completely yours at a young age. 
Father, may we get a grip on that today. And Father, may relationally can we say that we've never been closer than we are in these moments before us. We trust you with these, with these minutes. We trust you with our lives. Father, in a crazy time in our world, there's no one else to trust than our supreme Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct us now, that as we give you our minds, everything that makes us who we are, that you would mold us and make us and sculpture us to becoming conformed to the image of that one and only Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. In Daniel chapter 1, last week we began a study there and we spent almost all of our time in regards to just verses 1 and 2, speaking of the context and the, the history uh, of this time and this time that we find ourselves in chapter 1. From a date standpoint, it is 605 B.C. It's a time when Judah would have the first taken in captivity, going back to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had arrived. He had taken control of the area. And then upon his father's death, he found it necessary to go back home. He continued to leave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, who, by the way, was one of those wicked, evil kings, um, grandson of Josiah, whose whose reign actually allowed uh, the ministry of, let's say it a different way, the revival really that took place that I'm convinced that Daniel and his family and possibly these other three or four young men would have been educated and grown and become very enamored and touched and quite honestly brought to the levels of conviction that we see in this today. Father, as we, as we think about that, there are some things we'd like to just jump into today in the sense of the fact that the thing that set Daniel and these three men apart, the thing that was uh, incredibly different, was the fact that they did not tie into what was very common, not only all of those many hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but we find ourselves to be so relative to today, and that is the sense of compromise. Compromise. And it's interesting to find, you can find many definitions about compromise, but one of them I'd like to lay out is the fact that going the line of least resistance and holding conviction only until it gets in the way of our own comfort. I think that's a good description and definition of what compromise is. And just as it was easy or would have been easy for Daniel and his friends to have fallen into that, it's just as easy for us today. And maybe even, I would like to say more so, but I daren't because we haven't been drug off 900 miles, uh, taken out of our homeland as these young, which is perceived to be 50 to 70 uh, young men that were probably 14 to 17 years, were taken as hostages to literally have Jehoiakim pay attention and to respond in a way that would be just the way King Nebuchadnezzar would desire it. So taking those royal family hostages, it maybe would put some pressure on them. At least that was from Nebuchadnezzar's standpoint. But I'm amazed at the fact of how strong these four out of the group remained. Um, It's a lot easier for us and for them too as well, the, the word if I say expedience. Sometimes it's better to just flow along to fit in, to become part of the society or the group or the are the people you find yourself involved with, than to rock the vote. Uh, to take a, in fact, pragmatism, a very popular term today. Hey, if it fits for you, go ahead and do it. We're good, no problem. Uh, that doesn't sound very scriptural. Um, in other words, 
really, literally becomes to the point, it's up to you and your conscience, and I'm afraid our conscience as a nation particularly is scarred and seared to a level that it probably never has been. Compromise is becoming a way of life. We learn to lie, we learn to cheat, we learn to steal. And what is ever necessary to get what we want. And it's interesting, nobody has to teach us how to do that. No, it comes naturally. It comes very naturally. And it's because of Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It's all right there. It's, it's part of the package. That accessory kit that comes with lying, stealing, all the, the cheating, that is the standard equipment because of what Adam compromised. Really, compromises all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam compromised, and he went the way of his wife. He compromised in not taking care of his wife and not remaining powerfully over the top of her as, as he was protecting his wife. I should say it that way. I'm not standing in the sense of, of, of towering over her as much as it is to protect his wife. As we have this serpent, Satan, coming to deceive and to beguile her, as, this, as uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says. And literally, that's quite honestly true. We've been compromising ever since. And actually now, this is, this is, this is how, how close it is now. We are so compromised as a nation and as a people. And a nation is compromised because its people are compromised. It isn't, we don't become compromised because our nation's compromised. Our nation becomes compromised because we as individuals are compromised. And we have become so compromised, we don't even know we're compromised. That's the depth of which we find ourselves today. In fact, I was just looking for a definition of compromise. Most of the time, it's a good thing. It's thought to come toward the middle. Meeting so that it's congenial. All of those things. Well, when I'm talking about compromised to the Word of God, <laughs> that is something that is off-limits, cannot be accepted in any way, shape, or form. God never compromises a principle of His Word. Let me say that again. God never compromises an absolute or a principle. Never. He never meets anybody in the middle. Think of that. We, we don't even think of it in that light, do we? If I'm a little overpowering and bearing for the few that are here today, I don't mean to be, but it's just the way it is. Because we've asked the Holy Spirit to speak to us today, and I believe that He is, and He will. Compromise. That's what this scripture is about, is to purposely take a stand and being involved where God wants us to be. You see, when we're compromised, we accept the world's attitudes, its value systems. In fact, the compromise that we would say in the regards to the Word of God is it's an inability to deal with the biblical standard that God intends us to deal with because we are overwhelmed with our own personal wants and desires. We love to please ourselves at any cost. Ultimately, then, what are we saying? We're making ourselves God. Well, a couple of things that compromise destroys is it destroys our worship. It destroys our worship. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 138, verse 2. 138 and verse 2. Psalm 138, verse 2 says this. A Psalm of David. I'll start in verse 1. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. That last section is particular. Isn't that impressive? I have magnified thy word above my name. Do you think God takes the word very seriously? That's pretty clear to think of that. The word of God even is part of the very being 
of what God is, in, is entrenched in being, that very characteristic of who He is. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's take a look at verse 17. As you're turning there, one of the things we talk about in the sense of probably living an uncompromising life in regards to God's Word and His standard, one of the things that we could certainly say, it's important for us to read the Bible and to pray. I'm going to say something that upon thinking about I think we'll be okay with, but um, before we read this verse, I want, I want to say this because this is, this is really, really important. Uh, sometimes we pray more than we study the Word. That's a huge problem. That is a huge problem. If we don't study the Word, we have no idea how to pray. And we could filter a lot of pointless, needless prayers. Because there's a lot of things that we don't need to pray for that God has very clearly said not to in the Word. So reading the Word, studying the Word, just as He said, Thy Word is higher than my name even. To think, think of that for a moment. We have in our hands, in our possession, that to, to engage in the very essence of the height of who God is. That's, that's so powerful. The Word of God. Verse 17 of chapter... I'm sorry. Chapter 6, 2 Corinthians, and, chapter, and verse 17. We'll keep it in its context in the sense of being separate from evil. Verse 14, one that may be, may be familiar with most of you, it says this, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or Satan, that's another word. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now watch verse 17. Wherefore, because of all of that, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The whole message of that is the sense of we are sanctified. That's a word that sometimes we... we when we say sanctified, it's like we're, we come, become saintly, and that it's looked at with a very un, almost an unholy look. But to be a saint or to be sanctified is to literally be set apart. To be set apart. And that's exactly what God has called us to do, is to be apart from the world. To be separate. In fact, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. I want to show you something else. Hebrews chapter 13 or I'm going, to let, I'm going to say it differently. Let's let the Word of God show us something. Hebrews chapter 13. And let's look at verse 12. Verse 12. Start in verse 11. There's a, there's a thought process that, that uh, the writer of the Hebrews is coming together here. <clears throat> For the bodies of those beasts, verse 11, he's speaking in regards to the altar, in fact, verse 10 says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify, there's that word, set apart the people, how? With his own blood suffered or was uh, died outside of the gate. He was, his body was separate from the blood. The blood is what really sanctified or set us apart when we're in him. Verse 13. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach, being actively part, a set apart 
separate from sin. <laughs> See, that's the other part. Uh, oftentimes we, we think the setting apart, you know what we're to be separate from? Separate from sin. That's why one of the things we've been, we talked about, uh, was it lap? No, that was in John. We talked about one of, oh yeah, on the fruitfulness. One of the fruits is the fact, the fruit of repentance. If we do not have a sense of repentance and being, I mean, wanting to be separate from sin, then we really probably aren't attached to the vine good enough, or you're just barely hanging on, and that you're not letting the whole lifeline come through you, because that's one of the first things for us to really become, conform the image of, of Jesus Christ, is to literally have a sense of a, the fruit of repentance. We must feel about sin just the way God does. And of course, he's infinite, we're finite, he knows all things, he's perfectly pure, we're not on that side. But I'll tell you what, if we don't see it from his perspective, we're not getting it. We're not getting it. The scripture is so rich and, and uh, full of that. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It's amazing how the scripture speaks in volumes along the same line. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, separation, to be sanctified. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love, is, the love of the Father is not in him. That's very strong, isn't it? Is, anyone get that? We should be separate to be apart from the world. James, let's go to look at James for a moment. James chapter 4 and verse 4. James 4.4. 4. You adulterers and adulteresses. Well, that should get someone's attention. Know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Is, is there any question that we need to be separate from the world? Compromising with the world is not cool. <laughs> it's not cool. Not only does compromise destroy our worship then, it also destroys our service. We must separate from false teaching. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. In the sense of service. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, did notice again, set apart, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. See, we are asked to be set apart. Now, I want to be careful to say that we are to be insulated and not isolated. In other words, you're not supposed to go get your tent and you go live somewhere so that you're five miles away from the nearest human being because you want to be your own little thing. No. <laughs> Remember Jesus as he serviced and ministered, as he ministered and was actually a servant to those that he came to minister to. It's amazing. He engaged in or was close. There was no social distancing with Jesus. He got right into sinners, didn't he? he, was, he in fact, he was invited to come into the publican's home, and they're filled with sinners. And I'm telling you, religious leaders did not appreciate it, did not like it. In fact, took issue with him for that. Now, what was the difference? He was insulated, not isolated. How would the world be reached unless, in fact, one of his last words, go and preach the gospel to all of those in all of the world? How are you going to do that from your tent without a microphone? That, that was a horrible question. No, you can't. We must be part of literally opening our lives, but being very focused, very, very uncompromising. In fact, let's look at Hebrews. Here we have a perfect example. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26. Look at Moses for a moment. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26. This is all under the name of faith. Faith is so powerful. We'll be looking at that later today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses 
when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, now just, just a second. Now, wait. That's a quick verse, and there's so much that's just poof. Well, he didn't want to be called Pharaoh's... He didn't want to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Well, that's interesting. He wasn't the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was, he was the son of a Levite. So why, why would that be there? Well, because that's usually what happens to compromise. Let me just say this. If you were born in Egypt, and you could be adopted by Pharaoh to be his daughter's son, could it get any better? Because you'd have everything. There were people that would compromise to do that in the sense of power and prestige and money and, po- and popularity. But Moses, what did it say? Just read that again. By faith, because of faith, he refused. <laughs> he said, no, it's not worth it. He's, did you see this? This is an uncompromised conviction that set him apart. Now, let's keep going, though. Look at the next verse. He's choosing. Oh, this is, this is wild. See, this is what happens sometimes when we take a conviction, when we're uncompromised. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Oh, my goodness. You see, what, what did we say about compromise when we started today? It's taking the path of least resistance. Isn't that a pretty good description of compromise? Easily done. Easily done. How about Ruth? Think of Ruth for a moment. Go move from Moses to Ruth. She married into a family that had come to her area. And now her mother-in-law, after losing her sons, is going to go home. And she's told her two daughter-in-laws, you just stay here. This is where you belong. Now, how easy would have that to been? Yeah, you know, it makes sense. You notice how many times you may be compromised because under the guise of makes sense, that door that says makes sense over the top of it, you open that door and go through, would that not have made sense to Ruth? Moses? My point is, is there's a lot of things that are labeled makes sense. It isn't right. In fact, I'll let you go to Ruth chapter 1 and you'll find, you know what? Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. Where your God is, that's going to be my God. Isn't that fantastic? This is, this is a foreign woman. And yet she found it very, very important to, be, can, to follow her conviction. Let's go to uh, Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We'll dive into David uh, again. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And verse 115. That's a big chapter, almost takes up, well, well, you know, it's a long one. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. That's a, that's a decisive decision. It's a purposeful conviction. Oh, let's go back to Acts chapter 11. Look at this. This is very interesting. Who, if I was going to say, who's this? Who's the Mr. Encouragement? If you were going to say, he walks through the door and he say, oh, that's blank. He is the Mr. Encourager. You would say, nothing. Okay. <laughs> Who was it? Barnabas. Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? Yeah. He was Mr. Encouragement. I mean, he could encourage up. I think he could encourage where there wasn't even anybody that could be encouraged. That was just who he was. Now watch how he says this. Acts chapter, what did I tell you where to go? Chapter 11, verse 23. Acts chapter 11, verse 23. Where do we want to start here? We'll just start in verse 22. Oh, let's start in verse 21. It's even better. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned on the Lord. Can you, oh, can you see the victory in that? 22, isn't it just, oh man, this is awesome. Verse 20, 
2 says, Then the tidings of these things came onto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas. They sent him from Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. This is the new church at Antioch, and it's fired up. Who Watch now, verse 23. Who, Barnabas, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them, that means encouraged them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. What is he encouraging them to do? This, this is the height. This is Barnabas, Mr. Encouragement. What is he encouraging them to do? Cleave unto the Lord. Be focused with a purpose of heart. Now, that's the same term that's used back in, guess where? Daniel chapter 1. Daniel purposed in his heart. There's a 15-year-old, 14, 15-year-old that said, you know what? I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. You don't just happen to do the right thing. Have you noticed that? If you go unprepared, if you do not have a game plan, if you do not have a strategy, you do not put the whole armor of God on, you know what doesn't happen? You just don't happen to purpose to do the right thing. This is a strategy. This is a thing going in. This is something, and even Barnabas was uh, wise enough to speak that to them. This is a new group. They're, they're turning the Lord. All of the enthusiasm, all of those things that are taking place. He says, with purpose of heart, cleave to the Lord. Uh, I think it's interesting how many times uh, for someone to be, uh, I don't, don't want to say, I want to be careful how I say this. Um, to raise someone up into the sense of stardom, to, uh, I mean, I'm taking a, on a, even on a biblical level, now, to be really a hero of the scriptures. The chances of that happening is that you would have had to have died and rose to that after the fact. Kind of a, a post-mortem sort of a honor. Correct? That may, even in today's world, the ones that are the highest, you know, I think you probably think a lot more of Abraham Lincoln today than those that thought of him then. Correct? Or George Washington, or whomever that might be, someone in the past that was very, very powerfully moved in the sense of whatever they were into and how God used them, it becomes even more apparent after their death. Correct? Well, look, now, Ezekiel, I think I told you this last week, Ezekiel would have been a contemporary of Daniel. He would have been a prophet that was working at the very same time describing to the land of Judah, uh, the, the Israelites living in Judah in the southern kingdom, that they need to get their act together. This thing is going to get bad if you don't pay attention. Now watch what he does. I want you to see this, how Daniel was viewed even by himself. Ezekiel, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 14. Well, I hope I got this right. Ezekiel 14, verse 14. Watch who he names. Yeah, here we go. Oh, this is beautiful. I think this is wonderful. This is, this is, this is like a, a fellow brother in God, shall we say. And Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14 says, Though these three men, Noah... Daniel and Job were in it. They should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. He names three heroes. And one of them is one of his contemporaries. Does that not say something? That Daniel was well thought of. This is a 14 or 15 year old kid that's making his first noticeable drawings, a line in the sand, if you will. Let's go back to Daniel and let's find out who... Nebuchadnezzar was looking for. He's got some selection criteria. Daniel chapter 1, let's go back. And the king is speaking now to Ashpenaz. He's going to bring the certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. These are hostages, literally, from the king's family. At least I would say the royal family. Now watch in verse 4. Children, now that word children again, we looked at it last week. The word that's used is one that would probably be between 14 and 17 or 18 years of age. Children in whom was no blemish. No blemish. What do you mean no blemish, but well-favored? These kids physically look good. There's no physical 
blemishes. There's no physical handicaps. These are good-looking young men. So far, so good. Almost, if you would, as flawless as they could be. But well-favored, that, that's good looks, and skillful in all wisdom. Now, it's actually, what says this, skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science. Those three things. Quite honestly, uh, if we were going to break that down in another way, we could say they're going to know the facts, apply the facts, and correlate or harmonize the facts. Now, we probably have known people that are, they have a really high IQ, and yet they really can't put it all together. I mean, they're, they're brilliant. You give them a book, they can memorize, they, they can tell you anything in the book. But to live a life, and I, I'm almost at the point now, at 59 years of age, I don't use the word common sense. Sense is not common anymore. It's uncommon sense. We've thrown out truth for so long now. You cannot have sense that's common until you adhere to and really are close to truth. So we're talking about not only are they high IQ, not only know a lot of stuff, they even know how to apply it, but then it's to correlate it to life. There's something that doesn't happen very often today. Is that not true? Really, really is true. There's so many brilliant people that I know that can't put the pieces of life together and understand any part of it. Part of it is they don't know the Savior. They don't know Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you are at a huge disadvantage. There's, there's no, in fact, it says at the end that, that Daniel and uh, his three cohorts were <laughs> ten times wiser. Part of a great start is to get saved. Because you start to see things. He, God places within you because the Holy Spirit lives within you. You're able to part a lot of that stuff. And you can see things as they are. Truth becomes apparent. It becomes real. That, I'm looking for that word. Not only discretion, but um, what's, what's the right word I'm looking for? Um, oh, it'll come to me later. Let's keep going. So we've talked about the physical aspects of these hostages. We've looked at the mental aspects of these hostages, and it gets one better. Have you ever run around the computer geeks? I mean, these guys are so smart, they couldn't visit with their brother, right? It's just so amazing. And you know what? The king doesn't want that either. He doesn't want a bunch of really sharp computer freaks and geeks. He wants them to not only have, but have social graces. Look what he says. He says this to Ashpenaz, verse 4. He says, uh, in whom are no blemish, but well-favored, that's physically as good as you can make them, and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding and science. These guys are mentally giants. And such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning in the king. Um, that's another page. What's going to happen? Now, these guys are going to have to feel comfortable as they approach King Nebuchadnezzar. Because they're going to get trained. They're going to have all kinds of stuff. In fact, they're going to be trained in all of the, all of the, the branches of science and math. And I think of, I'm going to tell you what, the Babylonians were amazing in architecture. They may have been as sharp as any, I was going to say race, but any people, any culture, certainly in their time frame and beyond. These people were amazing. Some of those things, if you ever read about the, uh, you know, those hanging gardens that Nebuchadnezzar had, and how high the wall is, I could have bought you some facts today. I mean, the wall around Babylon was absolutely amazing. They could have chariot races on it. Did you get that? These people could build stuff. And they're going to be immersed in all of that. But literally for these 14, 15 year old kids in three years, because this is how long the program is. It's kind of like taking a, taking a, a junior or senior in high school and you throw them to the universities and you say, okay, go get them. No parents. That's a problem already, isn't it? <laughs> How much conviction do these kids have? 
Well, we're going to rip it apart because we're going to teach them all the good stuff. We're going to get God out of it. We're going to put humanism in. We're going to have socialism. We're going to have all of this. Isn't that exactly what's going on in the world? You know, these hostages, these 50 to 70, it's thought to be in a group, these four that stand out, that's probably not too far off of the percentages it is even today. Would you not agree? And then somebody has the gall to say that the Bible's not relevant. Really? And I actually do feel in a lot of our liberal universities today that literally those kids are being held hostage, certainly mentally. Would you not agree? Maybe you don't agree. That's okay. And here we go. To have social grace, to poise and manner and social graces, to be able to be in the company of a king. Now, um, I don't know how you guys are on etiquette, but you know, when, you, when, I, when I sit somewhere, I'm at kind of one of those, it doesn't happen very often, thankfully, for those that are hosting and also for myself. But I'll go to a dinner set, and there's, there's way more pieces of utensil than I'm used to needing or knowing about. I can get by with one. Just give me a fork. We can get through this. But there's, you can tell that it's, and I never know which one to use. You know, there's like the salad fork. Outer in. Is that how it works? Okay. I'll forget that for the next time, but that's good to know. Just work in. Okay. And, and there's a lot of stuff going on. And then they, and, and you know, you just don't know what you should do. <laughs> you know, right? I, I was listening. That was, I actually was reading a, uh, a script from, from some of this last week, I think. And he said he'd been invited to meet with um, an heir, heiress of, a, of, a, of an oil company, and she was going to be contributing to his, to his function. And so he's fantastic. So they give him the, you know, the directions, and he takes along uh, another buddy of his, and they go and get in this elevator, and they go up and up and up. And up. He says, it seems so high, I was wondering if I got raptured, right? It just goes up and up and up, and it's going. And finally we get out, and he said, you know immediately, you know immediately, you are really, really underdressed. Have you ever been to one of those functions? I mean, you, it's, not, it's not somebody has to tell you. You know immediately, oh, I shouldn't be here, right? And he, so this, you know, it was, it was obviously suit and tie. It was the whole nine yards. And he said, we were so out of place. In fact, there was someone coming up to him. He said, sir, could we get you a coat that you could borrow? <laughs> he said, he goes over and he gets this. He said, I felt so horrible the whole evening. And it was all a matter of my felt, myself not being ready for what, I, for what the apparent social posturing was, which, now I'm not suggesting that you need to be into that, but the point of the matter is, is that you can handle yourself to be uh, in the right poise around what I would call a powerful setting. And isn't it more, isn't it more important? See, Daniel would have been that kind of guy that he could come up to the king and he could say, he could say, you know, you're, you're living in sin, but he have God on your side. I would much rather have God on my side than to go ahead and wave off the sin in the king's life and then have God against me. See, that's how Daniel saw convictions and compromise. He wanted to make sure that God was always, he wanted to always be with God. And today, do you find that it is almost impossible to see that in so many people? It's so much easier to blend in, to fit in, to, you know, you know what a chameleon is. They just fit in everywhere, right? Change the setting, you just fit right in. Christians today, are, it's a lot easier to be a chameleon. Not Daniel. I'm convinced of these 50 to 70 young men that were hostages, these four guys stuck out. And not in a way that was harsh, not in a way that was boastful, not was in a way that was heightened in any sense of calling attention to themselves. That's what I really like. Is they had an uncompromising conviction with gentleness. With gentleness. You see that all through the book of Daniel. The guy is in, is in government high levels really for 70 years. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever seen anybody go from one... Think, think of that. Now, this is not really... Does not fit our world. 
How many, how many, how many uh, guys would you know that is in the cabinet of one guy? And these are different kingdoms. And he moves on through it for 70 years. That's an amazing individual that has unbelievable capacities mentally, socially, and certainly living righteously by God's standard. Because God will give unparalleled protection. We'll be talking about that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, my goodness. So these are certainly wonderful young men. They have a lot of things going on. Now, the purpose of all of this was, that it says in the end of verse 4, that they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. They're going to learn language, the language of the Chaldeans, and they're going to learn a whole lot about all of the sciences, all of the things that intellectually the Chaldeans had learned. Let's go to Acts chapter 7, verse 22. I wrote this down. I'm not sure where I'm going exactly. Acts 7.22. Oh, yeah, it speaks of uh, Moses again in retrospect. Uh, let's start in Moses. In Moses. Yeah, you won't find Moses chapter 7, but you can find Acts chapter 7. And verse 22, when he was cast out, verse 21. Oh, let's go back. Verse 20. There we go. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house for three months. When he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. Ah, see, that's exactly, that's exactly what the Chaldeans are wanting to do. They're wanting to just literally, if you will, uh, now they know where they've come from. They know they've risen to a royal family. They've, they've analyzed them, if you will. I don't know how they figured out who was the high IQs and who was the people that really fit all of this and the discernment and all of the social grace. I don't know how they figured that out. Maybe they spent some time with I don't know. But the point of the matter is they made those decisions. They found them. And then you know what they're going to do with them? They're going to try to brainwash them. You clean everything out that is unnecessary to be a really good Chaldean. So you say, well, why would you go through this trouble? Remember, how many people have literally left on this first deportation in 605 B.C.? Probably only 50 to 70. It wasn't a massive exodus. It wasn't anything like taking them out. But what would be smarter than for Nebuchadnezzar to take these 50 to 70 young men, young men that are conformable, that are bright, that are sharp, and then you train them. And you make them in the sense of obligation. See, when you feed them, the king's food, that's coming. The king's food and the king's wine and give them all of this pompous attention. Would they not feel obligated? That's the idea. And then to literally cleanse them of all of the things that the Chaldeans don't need. And what is that? An active, living faith in God. We've got to get rid of that. And then you know what happens? When we go get and really bring those people over here to Babylon, these that we've trained will be perfect to get them to the subjection to the kingdom. Isn't that brilliant? It's absolutely brilliant. Just bring them together because we've got the perfect way to, buy, to, to brainwash them. Ah, but for Daniel and his three friends. So it's clear what they're up to. Doing it with rich food. A sense of obligation. I want them to stand by the king. Verse 5. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat. And of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them every and nourish, so nourishing them for three years. This is a three-year degree, a three-year program. That at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now that means to serve him. These would be these would be those now that could serve the king. In what capacity? What, why would you go get those guys to serve him? You've already got your own Chaldeans. I don't I already mentioned it. You know what? These guys are going to be so instrumental in taking that whole Hebrew people, the whole Judean people, and keep them in subjection. 
because they're going to be trained. They're going to have all... And they, oh, guys, you, you don't know how good you've got it. I mean, this is fantastic. Look at Nebuchadnezzar, how he's treated us. He has done so much for us. In fact, we owe him our life. And to really think now that you're here and you weren't killed. I mean, think of it. Let's just be nice little people and serve Nebuchadnezzar. Well, that sounds, that sounds oh so familiar, doesn't it? My goodness. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. What is the character of an uncompromising? Well, let's keep going. Let's, let's see what else he does. He's going to feed them. He's going to literally obligate them. He's going to try to brainwash them. And he also changes their names. Take away all of the things that remembering. So let's, verse 6, let's read this. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, which would go back to the, the god of Baal. Oh, isn't that something? Oh, hey, well, there's nobody to tell, I guess. Did, who, who would you get named? I got named after Baal. Oh, how privileged am I? How would you like that, to come home with the name of a god? Remember what they did to Joseph when he went? Got a new name. Get away all orientation that you would have with any background or any familiarity with your roots spiritually. Change their names. All of that's going good, isn't it? From the king's standpoint, Ashpenaz is saying, this is good. We got them all named. We got them on the menu. We're going to teach them. We got all this curriculum. It's, this is going to be slam dunk, go get them. Three years, and these guys are going to be giants. They're going to be the greatest servants that Nebuchadnezzar's ever had, because I believe in these people. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, here comes this little snot-nosed kid called the name Daniel, or Belteshazzar, and he says, watch now, verse 8, but, oh, that's, a, that's, that's a problem. Anytime with a kid, but, oh, why can't you just get along? Why can't you conform? Why can't you compromise, right? Not Daniel, he can't do that. In fact, he says... It says that Daniel purposed in his heart. Oh, that's where it always starts, isn't it? He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Did he have a problem with being named something? You can't take white who he really is. You can't change his soul. You can change geographical location. Not a big deal. But there were laws... There were things that were written in God's law that were discovered. You know what was discovered? Remember, it was it last week? I think we talked about it. Remember when Josiah, age 26, King Josiah, he's sitting down and they read to him God's law. And I'm certain within God's law, there would have been dietary rules and laws that were given very specifically. And Daniel said, whoa, I can't do that because anything, any of that meat, the king's meat, and it would have been good. It would have been prime rib, right? It would have been the good stuff. I mean, if you got a good prime rib, I'm going to tell you, Nebuchadnezzar would have had the best. But there was something they did first before it had been offered to them. They offered it to their idols, which would have been a huge defilement for for not. Now, his, this is important. What are the other 66 kids? They're chowing down. <laughs> this is not a problem. Wait, we're lucky. We're alive and we're here. And who would want to who? would want to get on the bad side of King Nebuchadnezzar. We already know his, we already know his uh, what am I trying to say? His reputation. You want to get in trouble? You want to get your head removed? Go ahead and go say something bad about Nebuchadnezzar. Or refuse him. Daniel purposed in his heart. That's where it always starts. See, conviction will not just come. It must start in your heart. It doesn't just happen. 
It doesn't happen because somebody else had conviction. Make, make sure you get that. Just because your dad had a conviction does not make you have a conviction. This is personal. He purposed in his heart. Oh, what did he purpose? Well, one of the things that for Daniel was very important for him was, where does the scripture draw the line? You know, I've heard a lot in the last number of months even. Uh, the year 2020 will go down as probably one of the craziest, most upside down uh, years of this nation's history. It, it, it has to. I mean, it's going to get dumber, but I mean, it's, this is going to be a year that things really switched. And, uh, and it's amazing. Uh, we, maybe in our own minds even, we're purposing. Where is the line in the sand that says, that's it. That, that's, that's all we're going to, we're not going to do this anymore. This is enough. Now see, Peter, who's the other apostle with him? Remember when they told him not to preach about Jesus? And they did. He just kept preaching. They said, did we not tell you not to preach in that name? And Peter said something. We ought to obey God rather than men, regardless of consequence, right? And so he, that line we crossed over. There are lines that are, being, that are being put in the sand now in our nation that are really close. I think they're really, really close for us to make decisions on. Now, this was a line that Daniel said. And this is what I want you, I want to make sure you understand this. Daniel's line was not something that was of his own choosing. It was not something that these four guys got together and said, we're going to reject and resist the king just because he is the king and we don't want to do it. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. They were actually okay with being named with dumb names. They were okay to learn a lot of new stuff, learn another language as if, who would from Israel want to go, oh, goody, I get to learn the Chaldean language. No problem. Where did it get in trouble? When the scripture drew a line in the sand. That was the difference. And Daniel said, I refuse to be defiled by eating food that would be offered to an idol or wine that would come from the king. He's made a decision. He let the scripture draw the line and he stood behind it. Now there's a lot of reasons to go along with this. Um, let's see if these work for, for us. Well, I'm only 14. I mean, you know, I, I want to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm too young to really take a stand. That's not bad. And then the other one we've talked about, well, you can't tell the king no. Right? What else could we say that literally would have said, well, that's exactly, why didn't they do that? There's so many reasons that Daniel could have said, you know, I'm not going to take that chance. There's no reason to do that. I'd be better off alive than to be dead. What made the difference? Why did he do this? Why, why, did, he, why did he let the scripture draw a line in the sand? How much, how much power does the scripture have in Babylon right now? He's 900 miles away from home. Uh, the Bible says, but at this time it really wasn't even the Bible, right? He would have said, our laws say... Oh, that's impressive. Oh, I'm so glad you stated that for me, Mr. Daniel. That's going to make all the difference in the world to Nebuchadnezzar, knowing that you have a book of laws that this violates. He's going to be impressed with that. Right? Didn't matter. He purposed where? In his heart. Purposed in his heart. This is time for us to purpose in our heart. He had character, he had integrity. He would learn the language. He would even be called a name of after the Babylonian gods, but you know what he was not going to do? 
he would not accept their lifestyle. That's pretty powerful today, isn't it? There's a whole lot of things as we think about our political landscape and all of the issues gone on. And there's some you can deal with. But you know what? We can't vacillate on life issues. You cannot vacillate on life issues. That's a line in the sand. Traditional family issues. That's a line in the sand. How does God see his church? That's a line in the sand. The government from the sense of law and order and protecting its citizens. That's a line in the sand. <laughs> that's exactly what Daniel did. Is he had the scripture draw the lines that God's law put out there. Oh, God's always looking for people to stand in a crisis. Daniel was Daniel and his three friends were those. They were those. What was his anchor? You see, you just don't you just don't you just don't stand up and do this, right? What was his anchor? I mean, literally, if you think about it, Daniel's feet were in Babylon, but his head was in heaven. His thought process was not being mitigated or being challenged or being vacillated in any way by where he stood or where he was at geographically. I'm convinced you could have put him anywhere. And he was so focused on his relationship to God, there was no way that he could be deviated from that. That is a sense of an uncompromising life. <clears throat> it's amazing. It's amazing what he's done, or what he's doing. His anchor, my anchor holds. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. I wrote this down. Um, this would certainly be de descriptive of Daniel. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, a passage of Scripture I know you're all very, very familiar with. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. This is where he's living. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Is that not a picture of Daniel? <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something. If you, if you take those two verses and you make them part of you, and you see the words all, the inclusiveness, trusting in all your, all, he's going to direct, that's all good stuff that will literally keep you focused and on an uncompromising path just the way God designed it, just the way he wants us to react. Well, even though Daniel purposed in his heart, it was a private purposing. He's going to have to make it public, isn't he? That's sometimes how our decisions are. In fact, we're not asked to be a chameleon. We're not asked to be a thermometer. We're asked to be a thermostat. A thermometer, you can sit over and you can just, the temperature, you can you measure it, how it is in the room, up and down, up and down. Thermostat, you go over and it changes the temperature in the room. Daniel was a thermostat. <laughs> and I have a feeling he wasn't just, he, it cranked up. It got real hot when Daniel was around, in a nice way. But watch this now. How is he going to handle this? He's purposing his heart. Now, this is the difference. This is something we want to continue to just be, I've talked about him going through 70 years of being in high-level politics, high-level establishments that were very unforgiving, and very, I, I, the transfer from, like, Babylon to the next one. What was it, Medes and Persians, right, after, after the uh, uh, Babylonians? I think I'm right. It, it doesn't matter. They didn't like each other, and yet, Daniel just transfers. How does he do that? Because now, if, we, if, we, if we're Christians and we're purpose in our heart, first thing we do is we puff out our chest, we get a little louder, and we speak with a finger pointing in the air. <laughs> you guys aren't laughing, but that's kind of the way it happens. That's what, if, if it's a weak point, let's shout louder. 
And so here's this little kid, this 14, 15-year-old kid, comes up to Aspen as he said, Sir, I'm going to just tell you something. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> How do you think that would have went over? Exactly. Not very well. Let's watch. Let's watch and uncover. Because we want to see the consequences of an uncompromising stand. Verse 8. Wants to, Daniel purposed in his heart he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he, which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Hmm. Now watch verse 9. We already start to see this unfolding of who this young Daniel is. Because he'd done his homework. He had started to set up the, the, uh, the preparation for who he really was around those people he was engaging and rubbing shoulders with. Verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Now God is responsible... But at the same time, I'm fairly certain that Daniel would have been one of those that Ashkenaz could trust. It's someone that he was pleasant to be around. As they would have been engaging in different activities and different things. You can already tell that Daniel is this one that is just a character that has a sense of gentleness, goodness, meekness, all of that fruit. Remember we talked about fruitfulness? For the, for the, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. I can see Daniel just... He can hand that fruit out, can't he? It just comes off of him. That's a good start. That's a really good start. But you know what's going to happen next. You see, when you have confident boldness, and that's the first, you might write those down. I, I might even, I might write some of these down on the board, is the consequences of an uncompromised life is, let's see, what did I just say? Confident boldness. And this is, uh, this is even more remarkable in a young man of this age to go to someone that's in charge of these young men and tells him that he can't defile himself. There's a proverb that says, the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no one pursues. That's right. And one of the reasons for that is that sin brings fear. Now, we may have a very proud, arrogant one that got away with sin, and he may, but you're exactly right. The scripture's not wrong there. There is a sense of, and a lion is known for what? Bravery, for boldness, a confident boldness. And where did that come from? Because who drew the line in the sand? Not Daniel. The scripture did. I, I want to just hammer that home. For us today, the word of God is what should draw the line in the sand of which we hold our convictions and our uncompromising life, not because if we want to be great and, and grand and look grandiose. No, 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 no. It's the scripture that draws the line. <clears throat> and then a confident boldness. Not a, uh, a badgering harshness. Not a hemming and hawing, but literally coming from God himself. I think of, I think of this now. Let's go back to Moses. Moses, is, it's, this, Moses fits in so many ways, other than he got, a, he, got a, he got in a hurry. I just don't see Daniel getting in a hurry. Now, if you're 14 or 15, maybe you don't have time to get in a hurry. Because Moses was in a hurry. He grew up in Pharaoh's court, and he knows that he's an Israelite, and he knows he wants to be an Israelite, and he's ready to just reject all of the goodness that he's getting, and he wants to be an Israelite. And he knows that they need to get out of Egypt. But he wants to do it his way. And he's impatient. And he kills a guy, right? That'll take the edge off of anywhere you're going to go in a, in, a, in a popularity contest, particularly in Egypt. So he splits the scene, becomes a shepherd for 40 years. 
Now think of this. I want, I want to show you this. I want to see this confident boldness. Now think of it in Moses' life. He's 80 years old. God has approached him and said, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt and go to the land that I've prepared for them, that I've given to them, the land of Jordan. And he goes and he sees the... It was in the book, yeah, the, the, the bush that lit up on fire and didn't burn, right? And God finally got his attention. That was quite a deal because how much confident boldness did Moses have when God first approached him? Oh, not me. Find somebody else. Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to just stay here. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. I mean, I've been a loser for 40 years. I mean, what, look what you've given me. Sheep, right? No, I'm not the right guy. You got the wrong guy. Got the wrong address. Go find. No, I'm calling you. Me? I can't even talk. <laughs> Which I find that just ludicrous, right? I mean, I mean, the guy is skilled. We've already, we, you can read it. Even Stephen, even we were reading that in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen's sermon was. This guy was skilled. But he said, well, you know, I can't even talk. And so he gets him his brother, which turns out to be one of the worst things that Moses ever did was, was getting that. And, but, but the long and short of it, you know what he does first? He goes back and he just walks up to these Israelites. He says, I'm here to take you out of here. There's a sense of confidence. But this is the one that blows me away. Then he, and it wouldn't take too much, uh, shall we say, discovery or detective work to know who this clown is. This is the ex-son of Pharaoh. Then he walks right into Pharaoh. Let my people go. Simple as that. Oh, oh. how did he do that? Arrogance? No, 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 no. When you have an uncompromised life, based in conviction, based upon God's word, that is a consequence that comes from God. The indwelling spirit will give you a confident boldness. Not, again, I, not something that's boisterous, not something that's harsh, but something that literally is a calm, gentle confidence. In fact, let's look at another one. These same guys, Daniel was often somewhere. We don't know what he was doing. But turn with me to Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. Now, I know we're, we're jumping ahead. There's a lot of stuff going on. But it's the same people outside of not Daniel. Verse 13. Now, we have these same guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, the, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar has built this statue. We'll be getting into it. I, wanna, I don't want to go too far into this because we're getting it several weeks. But So he's got this statue, and everybody's supposed to fall down and worship it. And really, you know, for 30 days, is that a big deal to just, just fall down and worship the statue for, you know, a couple minutes and you get up and you go home and you do it for 30 times and you just say, God, in my heart, I'm still worshiping you. It's a really big deal if you purpose in your heart. You say, I'm not going to fall down and worship anything other than Jehovah God, Yahweh. What becomes a really big deal is when you don't, when everybody else sees that you're the only one standing up and everybody else is falling down. You stand out like a sore thumb, three sore thumbs. And they tell Nebuchadnezzar about it. And in Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to see a little bit about him. Verse 13, chapter 3 of Daniel. Watch. See the confident boldness that shows up in these three men. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not serve you, I'm sorry, do not you serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now... If you be ready, then at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down to worship the image which I have made. Well, in other words, I'm going to give you another chance. But 
If you worship not, you shall be cast in the same hour in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that will deliver you out of my hands? Sounds like uh, kind of a little bit of a climax going on right now, right? You have an either or. Okay, guys, you didn't get it right. You didn't understand the instructions. Now, me, Nebuchadnezzar, being the very nice, evil emperor and dictator that I am, I'm going to give you one more chance. I want to make sure you understand it. You'll fall down when the music starts. If you don't, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. What are you going to do with that one? I'm going to tell you something. If your purpose in your heart and it's uncompromising, convicted life based on God's word, there's going to be a boldness that's going to come. Watch what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, you know what that, you know what that's translated? We really don't care what you think or say. <laughs> that's the way to make friends of Nebuchadnezzar. He's jumping up and down with glee and enthusiasm. Watch what happens. If it so be, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image which thou hast set up. <laughs> and then you know what happened. Nebuchadnezzar almost burned himself in a rage because he was so furious, and he fires it up seven times hotter than anybody that tried to put them in there. They burn beginning to the furnace. A confident boldness. That's something that comes from God when we are uncompromising in our stand. Let's go to, let's, I've got several written down here, but let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, let's look at it from a New, Te New Testament perspective. 2 Timothy chapter 1, these are the last words that Paul was giving to Timothy, the one he was mentoring, and this is the last epistle that he wrote. Uh, let's start in verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Oh, exactly, right? Coming from being an uncompromising stand. Well, not only are the consequences of an uncompromising stand a confident boldness, but it's also an uncommon standard. An uncommon standard. Now, we already know from, the, from what we're uh, talking about in this structure is that out of this, what's perceived to be 50 to 70 young hostages, there's only four that have taken this stand. And sometimes you will, what you decide, or what, the standard that you choose to adhere to, that you're uncompromising in, may not be something that is absolutely binding to anyone else, but between you and God, it is a really big deal. Let me give you an example of that. In 1924 in the Olympics, there was a young man by the name of Eric Little. And he was a runner, and he was really good. In fact, he was expected to win the 100-yard, I'm sorry, the 100-meter dash. It would probably be close, but he would win. It was, it was that, I mean, we're talking Olympics. And he's, and he's basically practiced and run and trained for this event. He's put all of the work into it. He's done it all. There's nothing left but to run the race. Are you there yet? How are you doing? Can you see the anticipation? Can you see the enthusiasm that this young man would have? And then he finds out something. He finds out that he's got to run on Sunday. Can't do that. 
he purposed in his heart, I can't do that. Now, those that were following him, those that were cheering him on, those that were really taking a great deal of interest in this young man, Eric, all of a sudden they look at that and they say, what? You would give up that for that? Wasn't even a question in his mind. Wasn't even a question. But the really cool part is, not only did God give him boldness, because he took an uncommon standard, but there was one of the 400 meter yard, I'm sorry, 400 meter race runners that fell ill. And that would run during the week. And the coach said, Eric, what do you think? Now think again, he's not trained for this. (laughs) He's the 100 meter guy, right? And he's been asked to step up at Olympic level to fill in for this other gentleman that got sick to run the 400 meter race. Absolutely, he said. He won! Broke the record. Isn't that something? That's cool. But that's God. See, it was, not, it was never about Eric. That's what's really cool. This was never about Daniel. This was all about God. That's what we have to be certain of. That the scripture draws a line and he gets the glory. If, it, if that changes, we're going to be on the wrong side of this thing. Daniel was always about God. It was always about God. And then the other one that's quite amazing is the fact that we not only have confident boldness and uncommon, a uncommon standard, we have unparalleled. I don't know if I'm going to get this spelled right. So it's nice. Nobody that hears me that can't see it is great. Unparalleled protection. We've already talked about the, uh, the potentiality of the danger that Daniel would have placed by not doing it the way the king wanted to do it. But we've looked at it already. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 1. He had found favor with Ashpenaz. And he wasn't, he was, there was a sense of tenderness and gentleness and all of the things that makes a personality easy to get along with that put him in a good light. And God did that. It said God brought Daniel into favor and tender love. But certainly Daniel had to do his part. And God controls the heart of every living being. He protected him because because Daniel trusted him. It says in verse 10, in fact, this is kind of cool. I want you to see this relationship. Don't just breeze over this. Verse 9, it says he found favor. But let me me say this. Here you have this one, and I'm going to make it. We're going to make it 70 young men that, that the uh, prince of the eunuchs, and he probably has other responsibilities. Don't, don't, this is, this is the, the guru of the eunuchs, okay? And Daniel says, sir, I can't eat the king's meat or drink his wine because it would defile me. I can't do that. Oh. You know, now you can just see, you can just see Ashburn as, oh, this is going to be so complicated. Now, that's usually why we compromise, is we want things uncomplicated. But you know what? The more we compromise with sin particularly, the more complicated it gets. Did you notice that? Our country, America, it's so complicated because we've chosen to reject truth and cling to sin. That's how complications act. But now, Ashpenaz, I want you to see this. What, what, does, what does he owe Daniel right now? What does Ashpenaz owe Daniel when Daniel says, I don't want to be defiled? 
Well, get over it, right? And take off. I mean, it's not his responsibility. If, the, if Danny wants to be that dense and that dumb before, I mean, whatever. It's your life. Look what he says. This relationship tells me of the intimacy that there are between these two. It says, verse 10, The prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse like me than the children which are of your sort? Now there's the rest of them. Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. <laughs> now that's the guilt trip, right? Daniel, in other words, get over it. Because I like you. You like me. We like each other. And if you don't do this and the king finds out about it, off goes my head. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Huh. I suppose, and I just got to... Right? Sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? I'm saving someone's life. And yet, you will see protection from God on an unparalleled way when we stand firm, again on his word, on his level of conviction, and when we're focused on it. Now, I wonder, I think Daniel went back home, though. They went back to the dorms, the four of them, and said, ooh, what have we got going on here? It looks like we've got a significant problem. You know, the guy that we really trust, and he trusts us. Now we're actually putting him in danger. God... Did we miss the signal? Is there something that you didn't... None of this is written down. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying... But you can understand, it would be a time of reflection, wouldn't it? Certainly. It would be for us if you're in the same situation when you're endangering someone that you really... Just by the standard that you set and... Right? Well, somehow I know that Daniel and his friends would have prayed because we see they are prayer warriors all through the scriptures. Here. I mean, Daniel is full of those guys reaching out to God. Because when you are standing firm in an uncompromised position, uh, then there's a, another thing that comes along, and there's a number four, and there's a relentless persistence. Now, I don't know how much time took place. I'm assuming not too much. Because in verse 11, we've jumped to a whole new person. And there's a part of it, a whole new plan. He just went to Ashpenaz and said, Ashpenaz, sir, I'm sorry, I can't eat the king's meat and I can't drink his wine because according to my ceremonial laws that my God has written for me, that would defile me. I can't do that under any circumstances. Well, Dan, you're endangering my life then. Okay? So what does he do next? He goes to a guy by the name of Melzar. Let's look at verse 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, I want to be careful. This, is, this just has popped into my head, and I don't want to say anything the scripture doesn't say, but now let, think of what's just happened. Ashpenaz has told Daniel, oh, don't do that, because the king is going to go click. So now what does he do? He go gets somewhere. I don't think Melzar was Ashpenaz's favorite. Why? Because you, you see he was set over just those four. This is the way to get rid of Melzar. Think of it, right? Because if they choose, and he, you know what? I'm convinced he was 14 or 15 years old. When Ashpenaz and Daniel parted ways, I guarantee you with the boldness and from the confidence that was bling in God's words that he said, Daniel, 
there is no way to talk that young man out of this. And you know what I'm talking about. You've seen people that have been uncompromised in the sense of their standards, that are based upon God's word, and they are convicted to stay there. Ashpenaz knew that. It's interesting that he takes one of his ministers, one of his servants, and he takes this one guy, Melzar, and he places it only over these four. That's what it says. <laughs> whew, I think Ashpenaz said, whew, I'm not responsible now. See, I've got someone in charge of those guys. But Daniel, being this looking out for the others, doing it God's way, he says, and he lays this out. Watch him say to Melzar. Prove thy servants, I beseech thee. I'm asking you. Ten days. Let them give us pulse, that's vegetables, things that are growing, to eat, and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. You'd have to say number five now. What? Now, now just a second. I'm going to just write it down. When you are uncompromised, standing on an uncommon standard, not only will you have confident boldness, uncommon standard, unparalleled protection, relentless persistence, you will have a focused faith. Do you think Daniel had tried this before with anyone? Just try 10 days. I'm just going to eat veggies. Veggies and water. No king's meat. No wine. Just, just try. Melzart, just give us a chance. Ten day. What do you think 10 days is going to do to your countenance on vegetables? Minimal, minimally, right? I mean, 10 days is not going to affect too much. You're probably not going to be too much of a different of a specimen. But you know what? This is all about, again, I, want, I don't want you to miss this. Daniel is taking this stand not because it's Daniel. He's taking this stand because it's the word of God. He's based it on the principles of what God said. And when you do that, then you can stand behind faith that is based upon him. And Daniel is stepping out in faith because he believes God has given him the right to do that because he is standing on God's promises. I'm doing, God, what you want me to do. And he is trusting God in 10 days that Mr. Melzar can see the difference. Now, I want you to, this isn't something close. In other words, if these 50 to 70 young men after 10 days and the four are on the veggies and the water, it can't just look the same. They better look better because whose neck is on the line? Mr. Melzar. Incredible. Do you see the faith here? It's gigantic. It's monstrous. Just the way it's supposed to be because now I'm using New Testament, New Testament line, language right now, which is foreign to Daniel. He was hooked up to the vine. He was all about God, wasn't he? All of his lifeline to get that kind of faith at 14 or 15 years of age? He wasn't guessing. He wasn't taking a chance. He literally was stepping up boldly saying, Melzar, give us 10 days. I believe my God will show you what I believe. Isn't that fantastic? I love it. That's exactly right. Isn't that true? Oh, well, 
I know if you, if, if you move, if you, if you move to another site, you've got to be really careful. Right out of the box, get it right. Get it right. That's perfect, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Get it right. Right out of the box. Quick question. What do you think they were eating before that? During this warm-up period or something? Yeah. I mean, give us salts and water. What were they eating? Um, something different than what they were eating before? Uh, let me, give me the time. Different before what? Different before what? You mean just in the, in the context of the previous week or the time when they were in, Egypt, in, in Israel or in no, Judah? Different from what they were previously eating. In, in Babylon. No, in Babylon, yes. Yeah, yeah. They were not told, but I, I'm absolutely convinced because I see what this whole thing is about, that if they delivered meat and wine to, to, to uh, Daniel and his three, I'm guaranteeing they're going to refuse that. Okay. Right. So what they were, and I, I think this is a relatively short time, though. I, I still think this is a day or two. I mean, as soon as that decree came down, I'm calling it a decree, but as soon as the instructions came through Ashpenaz, I think it was almost immediate. These guys, they maybe had a little huddle and said, and they're just talking back at their door. And they were probably roommates. I don't know. But the point of the matter, they were very close. And they would have said, no, 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 we can't do that. Because the, because the loss is this. And I think, I think Daniel was that spokesman. He went right back to Ashpenaz. He said, with all due respect, we can't do that. And then now to come up with this plan with Melzar, you know, to me, that would have taken a little bit of time, right? I mean, because you've got blown off. You've now, I mean, there's got to be a, at least a night. And, you know, Daniel was the, the interpreter of visions and dreams. And maybe God gifted him with whatever he needed. I think, I think it would be no more than a day or two at the very most. Because I just, as fixed as he was, it was, well, let's just try it out and see how it works for us. No, 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 no. Just what you said. First day, right out of the box. But I don't know what they would have, they've had to eat something, Right. Until they got this figured out. I don't know the answer to that, though. But I do think it's a pretty narrow window. Just, just from his conviction, how strong he was in the position he took. Daniel believed he was invincible. Romans chapter 8, and we use Romans 8 so much, but there's one. Just read it again this week. You're invincible in Jesus Christ. I don't care if it's Nebuchadnezzar. I don't care who it is. It does not matter. I don't care if it's the Antichrist. And there's a whole lot of spirit of Antichrist floating around the world today. It's crazy. We are invincible in Jesus Christ. Amen. Not one second are we less as long as we're focused and uncompromising and totally in, in wrapped in, within the protection of our Savior. We're invincible. There's nothing. Nothing, nothing. And this is, this is where we miss it sometimes, is the physical aspect. Well, you know, they can kill me. So what? In fact, it... It brings, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be an early goer, but I mean, really, <laughs> let's get it on, right? <laughs> let's get it on. Um, I was, I, I probably shouldn't do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. It's, it's a story. I'll, it's much longer. But I just think of, of the, how precious and how adequate our faith is when it's really zoomed in. But when Idi Amin, remember he was in uh, Uganda? He was, a, I mean, he was a piece of work. He hated Christianity with a mat, just unbelievable. And he tortured the church in every imaginable way. And there was a pastor of, of, a, of what they, they call the Redeemed Church. And it was an Easter Sunday morning. And the sun had just risen. And this pastor was talking about, he and his elders were just there. And there had been an enormous amount of persecution that had been taking place. And people just started coming. 
most of them riding bicycles or walking, from every walk of life. There was over 7,000 people that showed up on this compound. There wasn't even any more place to stand. They would actually climb into trees and would sit on the top of anything they could get. And he said, and this pastor, he said, I, I pray, we prayed with, with our elders just asking that God's spirit would move these people. Give them something. Because, again, I mean, there, there's persecution. It's just, it's overwhelming if you're a Christian. And there was always those secret police that were always looking for opportunities to destroy and to, and to maim and to persecute. And he said, I went on and preached, and I just preached about Jesus. And I preached about his suffering, and I preached about his death and his deliverance, and I preached about the things that really literally separated us from the rest of the world and that could not ever be taken away from us. He said, I started to wind down at 1230. We'd been there. He said, we had been there for three and a half hours, and the people wouldn't leave. They said, well, no, no, we, didn't, we didn't come to just hear that. You go take a rest. We're here to worship to receive God's word. He says, I don't think anyone left. I came back and we went until sundown. He said, God was there. It was amazing. And then when I said, when, when we shut it down, he said, it was they knew, you know, because it wasn't, it wasn't safe to travel after dark. They needed to get going. They needed to, it was approaching, approaching sundown they needed to get. And he said, I was so exhausted I walked to my house, and I literally just about fell down, and there was five men that had followed me in. And I knew immediately who they were. They were Idi Amin's secret police. And they had guns in my face, and the one said, you, we were going to kill you. Do you have anything to say before we, before we kill you? And he said, I felt so weak. And there was, a, there was a, you know, it wasn't that I was afraid of death. He said, I just, to leave my family, I was just, you know. And he said, I heard a voice that was, seemed so far away, but it was mine. And it said, God loves you. And then when I, after you kill me, I, I would want to pray that God would, would, would keep you from eternal destruction. Because Jesus died for you. And he said some other things. I can't remember them all. And he said, then my voice stopped. So think of it. This, you know, he's, he's, that's a God thing, isn't it? He had stood for God, and God is standing for him. That's how it works. And then the one that had the gun, the big tall one, the one that was just, he said he was just full of hatred, full of hatred. And he said, would you pray for us? And he said, I want to tell you. I prayed, but I kept my eyes open because I thought they were going to kill me when I closed my eyes. And he said, when, they, when we finished praying, I looked into their eyes, and they were completely different. And the one man said, I have a question. Why would children sit there and sing and pray to Jesus, and they know that their miserable life is nearly over? And I said, because God loves them, and they cannot be separated from his love if they've trusted Christ. And he said, those men said, you have prayed for us. We will leave you alone, and we will make sure that you are protected. Isn't that amazing? That's a Daniel moment. That's a Daniel moment. You see, Daniel didn't go to Babylon knowing this was going to happen. 
In fact, I'm sure there was a sense of you know, a 14 or 15-year-old kid being deported. He doesn't even know if he'll live. And yet, what did he do in the face of all rotten circumstances? He purposed in his heart, and God gave him boldness, an uncommon standard that he held. He, it was, no one else felt it necessary other than those four guys. It stuck out. Unparalleled protection. I mean, you cannot get there without saying that. Now, again, okay, well, what if, what if they, they would have killed him? He's in the hands of God. He's, he's right in the presence of God. Like his, right now, in fact, Daniel doesn't even see. Talk about the lion's den with Daniel. You think he was afraid of that? Not a chance. His feet might have been in the kitty den, and his head's in heaven. That's how we need to live. That's exactly what Daniel's purpose is. And he was relentless in persistence, wasn't he? In a nice way. In a nice, he wasn't obnoxious. Get this new guy, and he says, Hey, Mr. Melzer, listen, I've got a deal for you. I've got a deal for you. Just put us on veggies and water. Try us for 10 days. You make the call, because we're trusting God. What do you think? Let's see what he said. How, how could you turn Daniel off, right? Look, watch this now. Then Daniel said to Melzer, I'm sorry, verse 12. Prove thy servants, I beseech you, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then our countenances be looked upon before thee. The countenance of the children that eat all the portion of the king's meat, as thou seest, deal with thy servants. I'm leaving it up to you. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them, or allowed them ten days. <coughs> At the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter. Now, that's not fat in the sense of what we see it. You know, these don't weigh more on the scale. It's the sense of being um, more robust in your appearance looking healthier than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Malzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine and that they should drink and gave them pulse. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Because here's the deal. If you take this position and you stand firm, write this down. The only way that faith is known to be valid is when it's tested. Faith has to be proven, and the only way to prove it is to test it. And trust me, we should not be surprised when we take a stand that a test comes. James talks about it. Literally, the whole scripture talks about it in, in various ways. The test came. And then, in fact, that would be number six, test you know, sometimes we don't think we should get tested. Have you noticed that? I I'm like that. Lord God, thank you for the boldness. Thank you for giving me the courage to have a standard that's uncommon. Thank you for the protection you've given me. Thank you for even the persistence to staying on course. Just keep getting up. You know what? That's, that's one of the things that makes a Christian a real... You just keep going. One foot in front of the other. And then giving me faith. And then we say, well, I don't want to be tested, though. <laughs> think if Abram had, hadn't been tested. What if Abraham hadn't been tested? And then here comes, the, here comes the ultimate test where he says, take your son, your only son, and go and, and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. He couldn't have done it because he, he wouldn't have had his faith tested anywhere else along the line. This test is for our good. It was for Daniel's good. Number seven. Let's keep going. Verse 17. As for these four children, these young men, God gave them. God gave them. Isn't that cool? God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. In other words, they're learning all of this stuff. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. You know, I just have to think about this for a moment. And we know about the rest of Daniel and the visions and dreams and, and the all of that stuff that he had, the, prophet the prophetic influence. What if Daniel hadn't purposed in his heart in chapter 1, verse 8? 
I think it would be just like the other 50 to 70 young men that just followed along, compromised, never heard from them again. Right? <laughs> That's why God is looking for men and women to stand in the gap. For men and women to stand in a time of crisis. Our world needs uncompromising conviction. God gave them. God gave them. That is so beautiful. That's abundant blessings. That's number seven. Abundant blessings. Whoops, I better write blessing. What must that have been like for those poor guys right now, right? Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you, God. Thank you, God. But there's actually one more. And it's one that we maybe a little bit sometimes miss it. Let's keep going. Verse 18, at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, that's three years later. So these are now probably 17 to 18-year-old young men. Then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king summoned, this is Ashpenaz, he brought them in. The king summoned with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. It's kind of like melt. It's kind of like the final four. <laughs> you know, you kind of sort through them all, and, and I'm sure Aspinaz would have been part of that. It would have been easy, right? He could he can analyze this. Final four, and in all the matters of wisdom and understanding, if the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Oh my goodness, they were infinitely smarter. And when you know the truth, and the indwelling spirit of God is within you, what a great place to be. I think of even the discernment. That's the word I was looking for earlier today. Discernment. Discernment. There is literally a huge, huge number of our population in the United States of America have no level of discernment. None whatsoever. Zero. Zero. And it's not because I'm not saying I, I have some, because not because it's me. It's because I've trusted Christ. And the indwelling Holy Spirit is using the word of God to give me discernment to cut away things that are really clear cut because God's ways are higher than men's ways. That's a grand blessing. I mean, that's all part of it, isn't it? Fantastic. Think of the discernment differences today to those that are Christ's and those that are not. I look at Daniel and I think of his boldness with gentleness and graciousness. He let God lift him up. He didn't lift himself up. He yielded only to God. And literally the last one, look at it in verse 21. And Daniel continued even until the first year of King Cyrus. For 70 years, he remained in high government positions. But I want you to think about, and this is what I was calling number eight. I, I'm going to write it over here. <coughs> Infinite influence. Infinite influence. What do I mean? Well, think of all of those people in his 70 years of ruling and reigning, Watching his faith being tested, not only here, but a lot of years later as they would have, how can we get this Daniel? What is it that he is weak in? Where is his character flaws? We'll be studying that later. And they said there's no way we can get to him except with his God. So they made a decree and they said, well, whoever worships God, or whoever worships anything other than our fearless leader, will be cast into the den of lions. It doesn't say it in that chapter, but I guarantee you that Daniel purposed in his heart 
Because, you know, the very first thing that he showed to us was confident boldness because he went right back to his house, flipped the windows open, sat down and prayed out loud that he'd done just like that the day before. Because his hand is not in the hands of men, it's in the hands of God. Because, again, he's standing behind the line of the scripture. Beautiful place to stand, isn't it? Not on our own soapbox. Behind the line of God. <laughs> and think of the men and women that would have seen this man, this aged man, showing nothing at all in the sense of fear. And they put him into the den of lions. And the next morning, what was that guy's name? It wasn't Darius, was it? What, what, was, what was this guy's name? Anybody remember? I can't, for the life of me, it's a bot, went out of my head. It doesn't matter. He comes up, oh, Daniel, oh, Daniel, has, God, has your God saved you? See, he, that guy even knew about Daniel's God, didn't he? <laughs> Long live the king. <laughs> that wouldn't have been the way I opened it, but you see, gentleness is kindness. Is, it's just so suave. How many men and women would have been, saw an influence from that wise man? Whose God do you think was served for a while there? But think of this. Go ahead, several hundred years. Jesus Christ was born. Oh, wait a minute. We went too fast. Remember Daniel praying for the return of the Israelites back to the land of Judah? Remember that? The influence that this man had. And then in Ezra chapter 1, you'll have to read it, and we're running out of time. Ezra chapter 1, you'll see this, this little... What should I call it? Not a motorcade, obviously. So you have this group of travelers going back where? To the land of Judah. Where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. What if that exodus hadn't happened? What if Daniel hadn't been prepared? What if he hadn't spoken to those people to return back? What if he hadn't known the scriptures and he hadn't stood firmly with boldness to say, we need to go back? You see, it all fits perfectly. His influence is amazing. And then think with me with this. Not only did he have influence in those going back to Judah, where Jesus was ultimately born several hundred years later. But you remember when Jesus was about two years of age? There was some wise men that came from afar off. From Babylon. Isn't that cool? Because they read the scriptures. That's right. And because Daniel would have been so influential in even having the scriptures even thought about being read. You see, his influence literally was worldwide, as it was known in that day. Do you see what kind of influence you can have when you stand firmly, uncompromisingly, behind God's line and standard? Daniel's an amazing individual, but he's no different than any one of us when we stand firm. When we stand firm. I was, uh, there was one, I don't know if I can find this. I'll, I'll go back to persistence. I thought this was kind of funny here. I, I read it earlier today. I'll go back for just a second with your permission. Um, yeah, this is great. I love, now this, is, this is really good. Okay. Uh, you remember, uh, Paul, I got two, two stories of this. If you go to Acts chapter 20, it's kind of the culmination. And Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And you remember, they're just continually, oh, no, no, don't, don't, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul, because you're, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to have your head removed. It's, it's going to be bad, bad news. In fact, even in the West Plate, remember, they, they, they took this belt and they bound his arms and he said, you're, you're going to be bound. And Paul said, hey, I'm in God's hands. I'm in God's hands. I'm not worried about what's going to happen to me because I'm going where God wants me to go. And ultimately, that's what happened. He was arrested in Jerusalem. He went to Rome. But that's why we can say, even look at the influence of that man by going in God's will. The household of Caesar got saved because they said hi in the last of one of the epistles. Isn't that amazing? 
But here's one. Now you talk about persistence on a loan. There's this woman that walked in to the police station. She said, she said, sir, I want you to put me in jail. You want me to put you in jail? Yes, yes, please. Could you please? Okay. So he puts her in jail. It's for some period of time. And finally she says, okay, you can release me. And the guy says, well, what's that all about? Well, she said, quite honestly, I was going to marry the wrong man, and he was irresistible, and so I thought I need to get back to my wedding date. <laughs> that is truly, literally taking relentless persistence to the altar. She couldn't help herself, but she said, I'm going to persistently go somewhere where I can't even, I can't, I can't undo something that I shouldn't do, right? Not good. That's a great story. I don't even know if it's true, but you, but you see the persistence in it? I can't help myself. I got to do what I got to do to get away from it because God has placed me there. That's relentless persistence. Amazing. Okay. <clears throat> Any questions or comments? I didn't. I didn't. But I know, certainly know of it. Yep. up his lightsaber and he says, Darth, if you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, it's exactly what happens to yeah. Christians today. Yeah. In fact, so of Christ in our life, doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter. In fact, that's why the persecuted church is the strongest part of the church today. They cannot, cannot be defeated. Impossible. The more that they try to destroy us, the stronger we become. Because what? Because the reason is, just as Paul said, in my weakness, then I am strong. And there, there, therein lies absolutely the deal. I, I want to leave you with one more verse. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, because I think this is really the caption of what puts us in the realm of where Daniel was. This is what really unlocks the power of what we're talking about. Is literally this. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. In other words, guard your heart. You will never purpose in your heart what hasn't been guarded against. That's what we need to be doing today. Guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. It's great news. And again, anyone that says the Bible isn't relevant, they haven't read it. They haven't read it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for allowing us to see Daniel in action. Watching this young man, this young teenager, literally, being purposed in his heart. He had guarded his heart. He had protected those things that were sacred. And he didn't stand on his own soapbox with his own interests, with his own purposes. He stood behind the line of your purposes and your laws and your sentiments. And Father, you do not compromise on any principles or doctrines that describe who you are. Never. May we do the same. 
Father, we thank you for truth. We thank you for the lessons and the consequences that we have learned today from the sense of Daniel's life. Father, may you grant us the same as we stand firmly and convincingly confident and uncompromised with conviction upon your word. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for your working in the sense of truth and of justice. We ask as it prevails, ultimately it will, Father, because that's what you have told us would happen. We would pray in the moments and the time frame and before us right now that you would overpoweringly, overpoweringly take control and that over the power that you exert and express the very sovereign God that you are, infinite in wisdom and power, that, Father, men and women would see how grandiose, how majestic, how full of love and power our God is. We place our nation at your feet. You brought it out of nothing. And if we continue snubbing our nose at truth, it will be just as Babylon. It will go the way and go away. Father, if it would be your will, we know that there's not a person that you haven't, that Jesus did not die for and love enough to save. But through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of repentance, we would ask that men and women in this time of turmoil and tumultuous unrest that many would come to know Christ as Savior. We just pray for the power of Christ to be unfolded and unveiled on this land. We pray for individuals that have trusted Christ to rise up, not in their power, but in yours. Would stand firm, would stand with boldness, standing in the gap, standing in a time of crisis, in your strength and in your power. Father, we just lift our hearts and our hands to you, thanking you for your provision, your protection, and your guidance. Take us and use us in ways that we may not even understand, but knowing that our journey, each step of it, you have placed before us to glorify you and to make us more like your son. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the spirit ministering. We ask these things in our precious Savior's name. Amen.